All right. Happy, happy. What day is it? It's Tuesday today. It's Tuesday today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. And welcome to another Learning Tech Talks where we are continuing to explore. Today is a learning technology discussion, even though we talk about a lot more than that. And we will on the show. Uh, you know, we're talking learning tech specifically. If you've heard the word adaptive, which I, unless you're under a rock, you've probably heard that phrase being tossed around in our industry. So Judy, I'm joined by Judy Albers, and she's at Area 9. We're talking adaptive learning, cognitive science. I mean, we're going to be getting into a whole bunch of different things. So if this is something that you're interested in, which you should be, honestly, there there's a handful of topics that I go, these are pretty disruptive to corporate development and, and human behavior. And this is one of the topics. So I'm looking forward to it. Judy, I appreciate you making the time. It's always fun catching up. We always enjoy our times together. I know we can't stop talking, so. We can't. We, yeah, I know. This is going to be one of those conversations that we're going to be like, oh, snap. We're at the top of the hour. Yeah. Well, I do want to make sure because I invite a lot of friends to this. I invited people in my LinkedIn network. And so, and I, I think partly it's like, hmm, you know, I've only worked two places in my life, Christopher. I worked at J.P. Morgan Chase and five predecessor okay. banks for 17 years. And so I was the buyer of learning technologies. Yeah. And then I went to Intrepid and I was the provider of learning services. And that's and where I met you. That's where we met. You were at Intrepid. Yeah. I met you when Intrepid had, had switched from being a services company to a technology company doing collaborative right. learning. And I got a little um, full of myself as a consultant. <sighs> Because I was getting to the point where I was like, you know, none of these what big news companies, out there. I've seen it. I've done I it. Have. I have. I've seen it all. None of these big companies can bring me anything that I haven't already solved for. And, oh, you have this. I know how to solve for it. Let me tell you a story um, about this client or that client or when I worked at the bank or, you know, one of the five banks. And so, yeah, this has been. So I've been at Area 9 for six months. Been a very um, humbling and fascinating <laughs> experience for me yes. as, as a learning professional. Um, so yeah. yeah, super exciting. No, it's you know, and and that's one of the things that I think is most fascinating about this industry is going going in the way back machine. I originally thought I was going to get into computer programming and software engineering. And mm -hmm. I actually found it to be somewhat kind of boring because it was like ones and zeros were very predictable. But mm -hmm. people are fascinating, fascinatingly yeah. complex. Yeah. And so I think this is one of those things where even my, I mean, I, I don't know how much time I spend talking to people and literally just thinking, reflecting mm -hmm. on this. And I still, on a regular basis, I'm like, wow, I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know anything about this space. So this is going to be a fun discussion. And yeah, you've got you've got quite a following because I saw how many people registered. So people are excited to hear from this. Peggy's already chiming in saying hello. We got people chiming in saying hello from all over. So oh, no, okay. no pressure. Good, good, good. All right. I don't think I can see the chat. So um, I know I intentionally have it hidden because otherwise what happens is people distracted. sit and they read the chat. And then they're distracted. So oh, I've learned how to watch it too. So I will let you know. This too, just so you know. Okay. But because no one, anyone who knows me for the past three years knows that there's no such thing as being on a call with me and not having my dog here. And I, and so, you know what, we always invite special guests. So you can be joined by whoever you want. And I may have, I may have some little rascal come busting through my office doors. Who knows? It's only happened a couple of times on the show. So, so you joined, so, so let's transition to the conversation. Cause like you said, we're chatty and we will just chat and then we'll forget to talk about area nine, but you joined six months ago and let's talk about what area nine is. Cause I've had, I've had Nick Howe on here a couple of times, but it's been a while. It's been a while. And so there may be people who are seeing the show going area nine Lyceum, and all this, right? like what um, is that. So mm -hmm. now when you tell people I work at area nine and you were recently mm -hmm. at ATD, yes. how do you, how do you like explain it to people? This is, this is my take on it. Um, okay. because I'm a 30 year learning professional. Right. Um, and I thought as, as I told you, I thought I had solved every problem <laughs> that could be solved. Cracked the code. Technology. Yeah. I thought I'd cracked the code, but the one problem that people would come to us and, 
people would come to me and they would ask about this problem and I couldn't solve it. And, and uh, frankly, I didn't think technology was there. Uh, and when I realized that the technology is there, I thought, oh, you know, this might be enough to convince me to leave the really amazing gig that I had um, yeah. to go to this gig because, because it's kind of exciting to think about the extent to which learning technologies can impact the world of education and not just workforce learning, but education K through 20, no, continuing uh, this, education. This is bigger than just corporate. Learning. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, so for one thing, I have now expanded from corporate learning to the entire realm of people learning their entire lives. Um, yeah. And the reason why adaptive learning works in all of these scenarios is because it solves this one problem that we all didn't think technology was capable of solving. And that was, how do you guarantee that everybody reaches proficiency? Right? Like, yeah, we well, all always, yeah. as learning leaders, we say, oh, well, I can give you this data that correlates to whether they've reached proficiency. Yeah, but I can make predictions or things like that. Yeah. Or or imagine, you know, your CEO coming to you as the chief learning officer and okay, tell me what people know. What do people know? What do they need to learn? But you know what? You can find that out with personalized yeah. adaptive learning. And and the more I dug, the more I realized, oh, oh, this is what people mean. This, or this is what we should be talking about when we talk about AI learning. Well, and I think, so I was interested to see where you went with it because mm. I think your point of demonstrating that proficiency is a huge piece, but doing it in a personalized way to me has always been one of these challenging, challenging codes to crack because you go, mm -hmm. everybody's at a different level. And so how do you figure out not only what good looks like in measure that they made it there, but how do you not peanut butter spread people through the same thing in order to get them there, which is frustrating on the end user side. There's a book by Todd Rose called The End of Average. And essentially he blows away this thing that, I mean, I was taught when I studied instructional design, the one size fits all. You you come up with a persona. Yep. You do a needs analysis. You come up with a representative persona. You try to meet Pass the, the widest net, whatever. One yeah. size fits no one. You know, <laughs> one size. Yeah, and, and so unless, but we've always been constrained by what technology could do. So enter AI. AI can get me to proficiency in software development in exactly the amount of time that it takes for me to learn what I don't already know, which is pretty much everything. Now you, <laughs> on the other hand, you know, you know some stuff about software right. development already. And so when you, when you take this personalized learning approach across an entire audience, we find that the median amount of time that we save for an audience, 50%. Because okay. everybody comes into a job or a learning experience already knowing something. It's just that what we all know is different. Well, and what's funny about bringing this up is that, you know, you talk, you, and, and again, it's been interesting over my career to watch how we've had to adapt to some of this. And, and again, how technology is actually making the possibilities better because it was, I think a lot of times it's easy to like gang on, on L and D and kind of go, Oh, you know, we, we did it this way. But in many regards, it was like, it was the best we could do with what we had. Because it's like, well, it is resource intensive to try to truly personalize things on an individual level. I know. And try and baseline and then try and figure out and then measure. I mean, it's a lot of work and a lot of L&D teams are strapped. You know, I mean, educators in general, again, we're not just talking corporate L&D. So it wasn't necessarily one of these people had bad intent and go, ah, 80% yeah. good enough. Like that's fun. Well, one of those no, people. in many regards, people were like, we want to do more. Unfortunately, we've got this to work with. You know, I, exactly. And you and I are always like, oh, he said what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's so much research about what works in learning that yeah. we when I would see this research, I would be like, yeah, absolutely, this works. 
Can you scale it? No. Right. You know, so like Benjamin Bloom, we all, it, we all, I should, okay. When I got into learning services, when I got into, when I went from being a practitioner to being a supplier, the number of times I heard Bloom's taxonomy in a given week was crazy. Wow. I'm like, at the bank, nobody talked about Bloom's taxonomy. You talked about what- This isn't a conversation employees are having. They're I not know, sitting around no, the water cooler going, you know, on Bloom's taxonomy. <laughs> <laughs> so- so Bloom's taxonomy is something that if you are a, if you've studied learning, you probably know what you probably don't know is Benjamin Bloom did this um, two Sigma research on the effectiveness of different modes of learning. And what he found is that if you have a one-on-one -on -one tutor, the amount that people learn is two standard deviations higher. In other words, if you got taught by a one-on-one -on -one tutor, and by the way, I was, my second major in college was piano. And I'm, I think one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by learning is because I had a one-on-one -on -one tutor for piano yeah. and everything else was in the classroom. And boy, did I master piano. With a one-on-one -on -one tutor, two standard deviations means I can learn more than 98% of people with a one-on-one -on -one tutor versus learning say piano in a group setting, which is what I did when I was seven years old. Um, and, and so Christopher, you say, well, yeah, duh, that's, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> right. That's one of those, like, right, even without using all the learning speak, people yeah. get that. I think people yeah. get that concept. They're like, you okay, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. But scaling yeah. that historically tough stuff. And that's the thing you can't, well, so that's where artificial intelligence comes in. You can scale the experience of having a one-on-one -on -one tutor. And that's kind of mind-blowing. And that's when you get into other, for other um, areas of learning research that I was aware of before, but I, I didn't talk about it all the time because I would be like, yeah, nobody's doing that. Well, right. actually, you know, we are doing this. So like, the forgetting curve. Well, and and on this one, on, on, on the scalability piece, and mm -hmm. then we jump to the forgetting curve piece, is mm -hmm. the fact that you would get laughed out of the boardroom if you went in and pitched, we want to do one-on-one, knee-to-knee tutoring with yeah. like every student mm -hmm. or every employee. Like mm -hmm. that's our plan. Because mm -hmm. when you got to the numbers slide, mm -hmm. <laughs> It would be like, here's what it costs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's not going to, or you'd rely on, well, we'll have their managers do it. Right. Like we've, we've, yeah. we've seen kind of the two ends of the spectrum. Either we're going to propose it or we're going to rely on other people who have expertise to do it. And it's like, well, they have day jobs, things like that. So again, it's not, it really was not feasible. It just literally was not feasible before tech. No, no, that's, that's exactly right. And so, Let's come back to, let's make sure that we come back to how much does it cost? Because I think it's this combination of you have to have a learner experience that feels like a one-on-one -on -one tutor. And yep. then you have to have the content creation experience that is efficient enough that it's not too expensive to price you out. Right. And I also that sweet spot. <laughs> right, right. And so so to be able to have both the, you know, your technology has to be so sophisticated that you can manage all of the workflows behind it in addition to providing a great learner experience. So okay. yeah. well, and and again, this is a lot to unpack in mm -hmm. an hour, but there's another component of this, which again is is fascinating with where this is going. Your point on the content creation. You know, the opportunity to actually improve the efficiency from an operational standpoint, it's you can streamline content creation through some of this stuff as well, which, again, you're not just end talking end user experience. Some of the internal learning operations piece can be streamlined as well. Yeah, it's really um, it's really been interesting to me because when when I worked at Intrepid and very modern forward collaborative learning technology, um, so much of it was about empowering the designers to really guide people through a learning journey to really address the, the nuance. And it didn't lend itself as well to, you know, a typical approach where you'd have like 
the learning designer, architect, the learning developers, like you couldn't necessarily have handoffs. It was actually yeah. more efficient if you just build the whole thing yourself in the platform. And it was easy enough to do, you know, which is great. Yeah. But I think when you're talking about, so what we would do is we would oftentimes make, say, a six-week onboarding learning journey. And yet several of the days of the six weeks were like, okay, today you're going to go into our LMS and you're going to take this legacy e-learning course. And it's two hours long, you know, times 30. And even <laughs> 60 hours. Yeah. 60 hours of legacy e-learning content and it's just and it's just like just total cognitive overload so to make that adaptive what the process is that you know first you have to be able to import it no copy and pasting you have to be able to import it all the robots have to be smart enough to say okay i can look at this content and see how it or how it's organized and i can form some hypotheses about how would i break this up into the most granular learning objectives how would i atomize it one learning objective one probe to see if you get it and yep than a learning resource. And so the learner experience in an adaptive program compared to like a page turner, e-learning, yep. um, and, and every, everybody's probably thinking about their 600 legacy courses that they just don't want to think about. Nobody wants to think about those. The no, which yeah. is why they, why they continue sitting there because a lot of times it's like, yeah, we really hate these yeah, things. And like, why mm, so many people I don't want to touch them. <laughs> Or like, or like, oh, technical skills, they change so fast. We shouldn't invest any time into it. And then you, you end up just putting content dumps out there. Yep. But with adaptive learning, what you're doing is, so first of all, you're able to import it. You're able to, you know, have the robots granularize it. So what a human is doing is reviewing it and then automating that entire process where, okay, I'm a learning engineer. I'm going to say, Here's my content outline. Here are all of the granular learning objectives. I got 20 different ways to probe whether somebody gets it or not. And that's another, when people talk to me, when people ask me to explain adaptive learning, they're like, oh, so it's like, it's like you're giving people a pretest. You're letting them test out of what they already know. And um, no, no. It's one of those like, yeah, uh, I mean, Conceptually, if that's helping you get the concept of like probing where you're at, I guess you could make some correlations, but mm -hmm. I agree that it's not true adaptive is not a pretest. No, it's not a pretest. And true adaptive is also not giving you content recommendations based on what no. we know about you. I mean, AI is used to give people content recommendations like Netflix. So um, so Netflix, so I don't know if you've ever watched, you don't, you don't watch anything except Disney movies, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> if you look at, okay, hang on one second before we go to this one, cause I've got to find, and I want to talk on this, but one thing I want to talk about on the content streamlining, cause we yes. can, I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose some of this stuff. Cause you hit on something really important that can happen that I see in, in the space. And, and Peggy was saying she was interested in this content. So I want to flesh this out a little bit and then we'll transition to this adaptive conversation because it's an important one because it's not the same thing and you hear adaptive used a lot. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that in your content streamlining that I've had conversations with folks about that can be uncomfortable is this idea of the machines, right? Mm -hmm. Analyzing the content and then doing it. And it's yeah. one of those like, hang on, I get that can feel threatening. That can feel like, but but isn't that my job? Like, isn't my job as a learning person to look at this and come up? And to me, I go, yes, but it's not taking it away. It's allowing you to focus your energy on the higher order activities and also allow you to do more than, yeah. than you normally would. Right. You should not be spending your time copying and pasting text from a PowerPoint into your learning platform. You should be spending your time doing the sense making. Yes. So the robots are exactly as good at coming up with the right, you know, learning probes as they are at coming up with jokes that are funny. 
I mean, if you <laughs> have you ever done like the yeah. AI generated the, the AI joke generators, like ah, uh, yeah, you're you like ah, uh, I think you kind of missed it, type of a thing. Right. I mean, AI is not there yet. The humans still have to be the sense makers, but the the amount of work that you have saved me by importing all of it, yes. granularizing it, structuring it, and then allowing me to go in and say, oh, actually, hey, AI, you got this probe right, but these five. This you is a mess. Yeah, you gave me yes. an idea. You helped me make sense of this that I can then do it. And I think this is that human in the loop piece where yep. sometimes AI and machine learning can feel threatening as though, and, and again, we've all mm -hmm. seen the doomsday thing. Oh, the machines are coming in 10 years. We're not even, and it's mm -hmm. like, that's not the case. You still play a critical role. Is it different? Yes. Yes. But you still play a critical role in this. And I think that's an important one because I've seen these adaptive AI conversations. People kind of get this fear factor and then they back up because they go, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Mm -hmm. And and really getting past that and going, no, you still play a really critical role. But imagine not having to spend, like you said, all your time trying to familiarize yourself yeah. even with like, what is this mm -hmm. massive content chunk that like, I don't even know what it is. Hey, I can go, well, I can figure out the gist of this really quick mm -hmm. and give you stuff to respond, use your critical thinking skills to. And actually, again, this goes back to this cutting that time down exponentially. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. Yes, exactly. Um, and then I think. Uh, so then go back to the adaptive piece, unless you wanted to talk about the content piece again. I think. um I do, but I am on week four of COVID. And so I have yeah, COVID brain. Oh my gosh. I was right there. It's a real thing. It was, it, it's a I'll real try not to. I'll try not to ping pong you around too much then. Okay. Okay. If, if, if the content creation piece comes back up, again, we're, we're just jiving. So you can talk about it whenever. But I think where we left off before, but I just wanted to highlight that because sometimes that fear factor can actually prevent people from mm -hmm. wanting to move forward and and it's oh, and it's real yes i thought about the other thing that i thought about um it, it came back to me Woo! see there you go okay so as learning designers and developers and, and we find this a lot with our clients when they go to an adaptive learning model they have to completely shift their mindset about shipping yeah. a product I have completed this course and I've sent it out the door because the whole point of adaptive learning is that we, the content creators, are also adapting. The AI can tell us where people are struggling, which learning objectives are hard. Did we get something wrong? Was this probe actually stupid or irrelevant? It's never done. Or did we? It, it should never be done. And the It shouldn't. The fact that a learner can just challenge something. So, so to have a workflow where three learners challenge it, it gets quarantined. Or too many people get it wrong, it gets quarantined. It comes back to me with an automated workflow. And I say, oh, I have to address something. Or the content changes. You know, the technical skills, the, the half-life is getting shorter and shorter. Right. Yeah. So content changes. I'm just going to pull this out. I'm going to pop this in. I'm still going to put it within the context of your durable skills. But this idea that you ship a course and it's done. No, you ship yeah. a course and you are iterating together with your audience. I love that you brought that up because it is a really important shift that you have to make. And the thing about it is, it's not that this shift didn't exist before. Like, oh, 10 years ago, you didn't have to do that. No, actually similar to wanting things to be more personalized. Mm -hmm. We wanted to do this before, but it was tough. We created things, we put them out in the ether and it was like, we don't really know where people are getting stuck or if changes sure. happened. And so I get it. It's hard. And it goes back on your, well, every six months we're going to check in and you're like, well, we didn't get to it because other priorities type of a thing. But this is then in real time, making it accessible to say, Hey, now we know when people are getting stuck and we know when our content is no longer relevant because people are going, I this, I don't think you have the latest on this because what mm -hmm. it's telling me is the right mm -hmm. answer 
is not correct anymore. So instead of having to go do the whole review cycle of the whole thing, which is a project in and of itself, you're saying, mm -hmm. hey, this part needs to adapt. But that is a mindset shift because it's not a we did it and it's done. We put it, put it on the shelf. We don't revisit it again until something blows up. I mean, it's liberating. It's sort of the way that you've always wanted to work. I mean, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many of my friends in the industry have been like, oh yeah, yeah, I designed this program. I have no idea how well it's working because they moved me on to the Yeah, because that's what we've always wanted. I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. and I think that goes back to this fear factor of like, well, this feels different. I, I'm uncomfortable, but it's like, this is the kind of stuff you've wanted that we've, been wa we've wanted to create a more personalized, relevant experience for people. We've wanted to keep our content current. We've wanted to streamline and focus on higher order tasks. Instead of going, I wish we could, technology is getting us to a point where it's like, you can, stop wishing. You don't yes. need to wish anymore. Oh, indeed. Oh, I gotta tell you the one other piece of data that we yeah. know now that kind of blows me away. When, and, and this, truly does loop back to where we were going in the first place. So we were going to what is the learning experience for the end user? Uh, okay, so if I'm taking adaptive learning, I'm going to be probed first for my knowledge. And if it and if it's if you have a good enough platform, you're going to get probed in. Sorry, that sounds weird. Get probed. <laughs> <laughs> many, many ways. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, it could be a simple question, Christopher, you, you looked to see if your kids were around, didn't you? I know. I'm like, it's PG, PG show, Judy. Come on now. Um, you, it could be a simple question like multiple choice, fill in the blank all the way up to write some code. And the AI is going to tell you how elegant your code is. Um, yeah solve a math problem and show your work. And the AI is going to tell you in which step you made a mistake. Um, do an activity and we're going to route it to your peers and your educators. And so, so that when I say we're going to probe to see if you get it, I'm, I mean, you know, truly yes. not just a little quiz engine. Um, yeah. And I think that's, um, it's, it's a point worth note. And again, this goes down to, which we'll, we'll talk about kind of more when we say not all adaptive is created equal. And it really is important as practitioners mm -hmm. to familiarize yourself with some of these nuances and differences because you can you can get sucked into it and kind of go, oh, it's it checks the adaptive box. And it's like, mm -hmm. but there's a whole lot of nuance when you start talking about some of this stuff. And that point of, if, if you're thinking, you mentioned it earlier, you know, sometimes people go, oh, so there's like a pretest. We do that. Like we put a few questions on the front end. It's like, uh, this is not just a couple multiple choice questions. And if you get th three of the five right, you get to skip to slide eight. This is dramatically different than that. I talked to a guy at ATD who was a strategy consultant. And he said, I never heard of ATD before. I just happened to have some clients who are education companies. So I walked the floor, Judy, and all these people were talking to me about their AI and their adaptive learning. And every time we we dug into it, I, I thought I could write that algorithm until I saw you guys. And then he said, Ooh, oh, okay. So this is, this is the real deal. And I think that when, as a learning professional, before I joined Area 9, I would have thought about AI as sort of like the Netflix of learning. Netflix knows what I like. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen um, Riverdale. This is where I was going okay. because no. I was gonna say, not... don't ever click that I don't know what to watch button on Netflix. It's not, it's not terribly yeah, accurate. It's, it's, for, for you, it's gonna be all like the wiggles. And <laughs> um, but so, so Riverdale is this show about the Archie comic book characters. And Netflix, I don't know how Netflix decided that I might like Riverdale, um, but what Netflix does not know about, and all Netflix knows about me is that maybe you'd like this show, you know, versus all of the other shows. The adaptive learning experience is like, imagine I started watching Riverdale and, and as I'm watching it, and this was literally my experience, I was like, oh, when I was a kid, I read all those Archie comic books. I 
I know who Reggie yeah. Mantle is. When every time they would introduce a character, I had the backstory. I know who Reggie Mantle is. My daughter doesn't know who these, who, you know, Jughead. They, yep. She doesn't get a lot of these cultural references. An adaptive learning experience is, is, it's like watching an actual Netflix show, but having a version of it that changes every 30 seconds based on what you already know. Well, and I think that's, you know, because it, it, so so Netflix of learning one, I, I, the, the analogy drives me bonkers. Mm -hmm. But I think this is where you kind of look at the scale of adaptive and there's mm -hmm. there's kindergarten adaptive and there's like mm -hmm. PhD adaptive type yeah. of a thing. And if you look at Netflix, right, let's use an analogy probably everyone's familiar with regardless of, you know, if you go, if you were to log into my Netflix, you would see like recommended for you. And it'd be like, Christopher, like, really? Like, these are like, you know, cartoon, which I do love cartoons and kids shows. So it's, it's actually pretty accurate in that sense. But it doesn't have a lot of data points on me other than my viewing history. And yes, maybe now they're adding like, did you like it? Did you really like it? Again, trying to feed the machine to better understand, but it's still not really understanding what about it did you like? Did yeah. you like the character development? Did you like the story, the plot mm -hmm. line? Did you like the animation, like what about it really connected with you so that we can intelligently say, this is it. Now on top of it, it's also not really telling you anything about what's in the shows you're watching because it's just kind of like this program, which is what you would see in like an LXP or an LMS plus where it's saying, I think you might like this relevant thing because of some other things you did. And it's like, I don't really know anything about what's inside of it or whether it's mm -hmm. actually going to get you anywhere, but mm -hmm. this nugget might work for you. And that is not what we're talking about. No, it is the content itself that is talking yeah. to you. And so then you say, oh, well, what should AI be measuring? So this is what your AI should be measuring. It should be measuring. Um, well, first of all, everything should be granular. So, when you when I probed for your knowledge, did you know it already? Yes or no? How long did it take you to get to the right answer? How many times did you have to try to get to the right answer? Um, how confident were you? So this is something yeah. that's kind of cool. Oh, I know. Right? I know because this whole idea of unconscious incompetence, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote some more research here. The Dunning-Kruger effect, Christopher, do you, do you know? I know this. Oh, I know this. I knew you were going here. <laughs> all right. So the Dunning-Kruger effect means we all, we all like at Lake Wobegon, where all the children are, are above average, we all have a cognitive bias where we will estimate our level of competence at something as being a little bit above average, like about 70 70%. Ish. Yep. And you can be an absolute master or the worst, and you're still going to be like, oh, probably about 70, 70%. It's just yeah. a normal human cognitive bias. We suck at metacognition. We don't. We're terrible at assessing, which is also why a lot of times the people who know the most, a lot of times are the ones that are like, I don't really know. Like, I, I'm not real. I'm, I'm, because they know they don't know. There's like an awareness that it's like, I know like this much. So I would assess it. Like you said, everybody kind of lands in in that zone. Right. So to ask someone whether they get it or not, what you are uncovering in an organization is the amount of unconscious incompetence. So and that's a huge risk. So um, so City, for example, I love that. I love that City has chosen us because, you know, the first half of my career was in banking. So I lived and breathed at J.P. Morgan Chase. I lived and breathed compliance training and all of the, you know, all of the stuff that you just must know. You had to do it. It was you regular. Had, yeah, you had to do it. it. Or, or, or I think about you at ChenMed. What is the cost of someone making a mistake? I mean, in banking, if someone makes a mistake, we could get fined by the government, right? Um, if a doctor makes a mistake, someone could die. And yep. across the board, what we find in the level of unconscious incompetence, that means people think they know something, but they really don't. Right. If you think you know it and you really don't, you're going to charge ahead and you're going to do it and you're going to do it wrong. And the level is consistently 20%, which is why you should always get a second opinion. Yeah. Well, and on top of it, it may not necessarily be because you didn't at some point know it, but we all know things are changing so fast. So what you thought you knew, it mm. might have been accurate for what was known 
at the time. Ditto. So let And me- now you're charging forward with what used to be correct. That's mm-hmm. like, that's not correct anymore. Now you're making potentially life-threatening decisions on bad information. So this is what AI can do that humans can't do. AI can tell us for an entire audience, what's the what what are the areas of unconscious incompetence and we can fix them. So for the safety and soundness of an organization like City, that is massive. You Huge. know, this is a business conversation. Huge. This isn't just like an LD conversation. You're mitigating business risk. Exactly. Then you get to, and you sort of mentioned the forgetting curve, Ebbing House's forgetting curve. I can quote all these learning scientists now. Um Ebbinghaus's forgetting curve is essentially shows that people learn something and then they forget it really fast. Like the amount of learning drops off super fast. But if you refresh their knowledge, um, if you, oh, and you know what? You can show that slide that I have up because it just. All right. All right. We're bringing it in. I know. And you know what? I'm even going to put into the chat because you know how um, I hate to just talk about stuff without being useful to people. I'm going to put in the chat all of the links to the research that I am talking about. So, um, and and Judy's one sentence summary of what this research is. So the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve is the little curve where, where you see the word refresh there. Yeah. Um, that's the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. If you refresh people, um, and that's where AI is good at it, and humans are bad at it. So you refresh them over time. Um, you know, and this, I thought you'd find this interesting, Christopher. So did you know that the New England Journal of Medicine, white labels our platform. So your family practice, family practice doctors at ChenMed, when they go to get board certified, if they take New England Journal of Medicine's test prep, it's actually white labeled area nine. It's adaptive mm-hmm. learning. And what is and, and if I was studying for my boards and being the age that I am, I would make a bunch of flashcards and I would <laughs> not know where to put the flashcard. Oh, did I get this? I didn't get it. Where should I put it in the deck? That is where AI needs. AI needs to know exactly when to refresh me on something so that every single person gets to competence. To that same level. You know, and you talk about DEIB a lot, and I am really, you know, I've talked about this being about technical training, but it's also about belonging. It's also about no one gets left behind. Um, We actually got, we've got a a four-year nursing curriculum in Denmark. So the country of Denmark invested in creating a four-year adaptive learning Um, curriculum and it is specifically because there's a shortage of nurses and there are nurses that are getting left behind because they'd make really really good nurses but they don't learn necessarily through book learning and taking tests if you can if you can give them all of that stuff through adaptive learning then what what happens is that that the quality of time that the instructors are spending is looking at reports of what my students know and don't know, and actually talking about the areas of unconscious incompetence that are shared, or being able to coach one individual. And so you you don't have people, you don't have learners getting left behind. No. And, and, as, and as neurodiversity continues to kind of right. step into the spotlight more, mm-hmm. and this greater recognition that it's like, listen, like people mm-hmm. are extremely unique and dynamic Mm -hmm. and it's not just like a oh well too bad for you if you don't fit the mold like this is actually limiting people's capability and their ability to succeed i mean this is not just like "Eh, isn't it a nice to have type of a thing the ability to actually like you said reach people where they are and bring everyone to the same level this is more significant than just, oh, well, now you're better at Python. I mean, can it dramatically improve everybody's ability to learn Python if they need to? So be it, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's much bigger than that. Well, we play in the the fields of education as well. And so I was at the ASU GSV conference recently where where it's a bunch of educators and ed tech startups. It's investors, educators, and educational technologies. And um, and one of the guys from a, a historically black university was saying the the biggest problem that we have in um, in 
educational equity is getting people caught up in math. If we can get people caught up in math, then you open up a whole range of things that, you know, that they can do. And so, and, and I think about my own son who just checked out of math class. It was boring. He was like, I did this problem in my head already. And now I have to listen to the lecture. And, um, you know, everyone, math is such a good example. Or me, when I, I was supposed to take calculus when I was a senior and I got sick. Yeah. And I missed a week of school and I had to drop calculus. Done for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, I, and, I, and I remember that like physics. Yeah. I mean, some of these, some of these you're challenging done. subjects, it's like you yeah. missed, you miss a couple of weeks. It's like, you're done. You're I'm, gone. Yeah. I missed the second week of school. Boom, Judy, you're out. And so there, there is a woman who could have gone into STEM, but I got sick and I missed a week of school. So, so HarperCollins white labels our platform. It is the entire math curriculum for years one through nine in the UK. And imagine, so I think about like my son, Michael, or me taking calculus. Imagine if um, you could have the equivalent of having a one-on-one -on -one tutor for the entire Accessible. first nine years of learning math. Yeah. The change, the change and impact that would have on humanity. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, well, I know we're talking like big stuff, but it's like, this is the impact this kind of technology mm -hmm. can have in yeah. ways that we haven't thought about before. I know. And and again, I get really because there's sometimes there's really disruptive things in our field that are like this is huge. Like this is huge mm -hmm. and transformative. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they get lost in the forest for the trees because there's lots of stuff mm -hmm. and it gets lost in it. But yeah. I think this is one of those things where it's like when you start thinking about the impact of creating equity in capability that's that's big. That's really big in terms of opening the doors for, hey, like your example is a great one. Like you might have gone into a STEM field, but I, I missed it, fell behind. I thought, you know what? This isn't for me. I can't really do it. And I'm not. So you, you wrote it off versus who knows? You might have gotten there and gone, I love this. Like this is exactly. And you might have taken a completely different path. And I think that's the kind of monumental change that these kinds of technologies can have when we actually think about this is stuff we couldn't do before. I know. We, we actually couldn't. Yeah. We're literally creating capability that was impossible before. Right. Well, and and when you think about the reasons why anyone falls behind in an in a one size fits all educational system, if you are disadvantaged, I mean all I did was get a virus and miss the second week of school my senior year, but but you know, so I'm very aware of the tremendous amount of privilege that that I had in so many other arenas. Um, but when you think about all of the reasons why kids fall behind that are completely out of their control, they're just situational, yep. um, to yeah. be able to have adaptive learning, it, it's a game changer. It is. It is. Um, yeah. And, and again, I that's where some of these things that get kind of like, yeah, it improves the learner experience. It's like, I don't think in some of these areas, and this is one that I don't think it it's fully grasped the potential impact that can have on, you know, not just, I mean, yes. Can it reduce your speed to performance and compliance training? Yes. Can it improve your learning operations and the time it takes to develop content? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But is that where it stops? No, not, I mean, not, I mean, that's, that's like the tip, tip, very tippy, tippy top of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. So one question I have though, that, that yeah. Zaha brought up, sorry if I, if I mispronounce it, but um, Zara is, okay. Okay. There you go. I did get it right. <laughs> um, <laughs> is she brought this up and I think it's a good point. This can feel overwhelming. Okay. Because like you said, and we talked mm -hmm. about it before, we've got seas, yeah. oceans, legitimate yeah. oceans of this stuff yeah. out there where we go, holy crap like what you're talking about it's exciting and like mm -hmm. i get why you're amped i'm also thinking about the effort of taking this these these landfills of digital mm -hmm. content that have acquired for decades and we go all right eating the elephant feels overwhelming yeah how, where do you recommend or how do you help people get started with that because again when it comes to adaptive learning it can't, I, I've, and again, it's similar to the like fear factor. I've mm -hmm. seen people see it go cool. 
honestly, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. I don't even know where to start. And so I just stop. No, well, it's true. I think there's, there's a couple of ways to address that. Um, way number one is that some adaptive learning approaches are using something called the inference model, which is a, a lot of people, when I say adaptive learning, they're like, oh, branching. I didn't know. <laughs> branching. Have you ever tried to write a branching program? Oh my God. I, oh. I remember the first, I remember the first course I wrote mm -hmm. and I thought, you know what? I'm going to make it adaptive. <laughs> and oh. I went into the rabbit hole and I never came out. Like it's it so, was. Yeah. Terrible. Like there humans just cannot possibly write a branched body of knowledge. And plus the rest of the humans don't learn the way Christopher and Judy learn. No. And so however, well, good luck updating that thing. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, breaking the system so okay. long. So if somebody <laughs> uses a branching model or an inference model, run away because it's going to be impossible. It's just, it's just going to be so hard to get your content in there. If they use a biological model, then it's, again, it's letting the AI do what it does best. It feels a little bit more chaotic, but in the back end, everything, everything is granularized into learning objectives. You have to be able to have the tools to import. So that's the thing that the thing I didn't know about Area 9 is that they've been at it for 25 years. And so, like, this company's been sold. Yeah, this isn't a new thing. Like, this no, topic no. sounds like it's, it's like just, current buzz, but it's like, this is not a all 2020 the, initiative. All these Gen X, uh, Gen X kids, like my kids, um, <laughs> who are coming into the workforce and they say, oh, yeah, I, I had a textbook that was like this. Well, McGraw Hill white labels our technology for its smart book platform. So when people say, yep. oh, I have been asked questions and I have been asked You've to- probably it, experienced it. Do I know it? Do I think I know it? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have already experienced it. So we have like 3 billion data points. We've got, you know, 2 million unique users and and 20 years of writing the workflows. So if, if McGraw-Hill could put 1,500 products out there on our platform, so this company had to develop, and this was the third generation of our platform. This is like developing all the automated workflows to be able to yep. import content. So Zara, like I got you covered, which is, yeah. which is really- Well, and I think that goes back to Brian's question that yeah. he asked earlier, which we talked about for a bit, was this whole like, but how does it streamline it? And I think it's that engine we talked about in the beginning that is taking- your content and helping you streamline, okay, but what out of this is relevant? And you're playing that human in the loop point of going, okay, yeah, eh, you know, bad joke, you know, not funny type of it. Like we need to tweak, we need yeah. to adjust, we need to do this type of thing, which you can do at a speed and scale mm -hmm. far faster than anything anybody can imagine right now. If you're thinking of traditional content means, because honestly, it's, it is not traditional content development. It's not. No, not at all. In fact, our developers, we call them learning engineers. And okay. our program, like curriculum designers, we call them learning architects. Um, so Brian, first of all, hi, Brian Chapman. Um, we go so far back in learning technology. <laughs> and and yeah, um, this is this is kind of amazing to me. Um, be, I should also say before I forget, because we are coming up to the end of the hour, Christopher, got a little bit more time. Good. Okay, so we, we can got take time. questions. You let me worry about the time. All right. Okay. So to answer Brian's question, um, when we estimate, well, how long is it going to take? We're like, oh, 90 minutes per learning objective. It's that straightforward. Now, if your content doesn't already exist, I mean, most people have source content. So if you have source content, 90 minutes is a good, it's, it's such a reliable estimate, which is crazy because I've been in learning services also a long time and estimates are just crapshoot. Um, yeah. yeah. So 90 minutes per learning object, if it's like medical content, super specialized, or if it's brand new, you're, you're developing it for the first time and making it adaptive, then you might go instead of one and a half hours per learning objective, two and a half hours per learning okay. objective. Um, but yeah, it's pretty- But that's radically different than a lot of times the, I mean, sometimes like weeks and months that can go into some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, and, that's, and that's where I think, yeah. I think if you're on the practitioner side, this idea of it feeling overwhelming going, 
this is like years and years and years worth of stuff. It's like, it, yeah. it actually isn't like, this is, this is exponentially radically more accelerated in terms of content development than, than yes. what I think most people are familiar with. And you have to get comfortable with co-creating with your audience yeah. because you're going to, you're going to form another hypotheses. You're going to put something out there and you're going to find out what are people getting wrong. You're going to find out what questions they're challenging, and then you are going to adjust your content. And so, so you, it's evergreen. Like you don't have, you never have to throw this stuff away. You never have. I when when I think about, gosh, at the bank, you know, every time, every time a big organization does a survey of all the courses that they have, um, and I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to do any name calling here, but I worked with another financial services company recently. And every time I got on a project with this company, they were like, oh, we have to create something on this model that we use, yep. this model that describes the way that we work. And, and, and I would say, I have seen 15 versions of this already created. Why are you not reusing this? Um, so the idea that you're creating it and it stays that learning objective you know can be reused anywhere it's super granular um you know it stays until the content becomes obsolete but you don't have to keep you know yeah. it's, it's a it's a really good point because again it's one of these in terms of the speed it accelerates because as you start yeah. generating your body of content mm -hmm. you're actually even reducing mm -hmm. further time to development because now you've got a pool to pull from to say, Hey, you know what? Some of these are recycled. Like you said, like, yes, we're using it in a different context, but we're pulling it into this and that. I think that again, I think many times, a lot of times we don't put enough effort on operations and what our operations look like. Yeah. And I think this is one of those things where this is actually an operational efficiency where technology can actually add tremendous scale to a lot of the things that we're doing. You know, Cameron Hedrick is the CLO over at City, and, and he has said 40% um, of our content is going to be adaptive. If, if it is important that we know that you know it, it's going to be adaptive. Yeah. And that's, that's a big mindset shift. And yeah, yes. there's work to make it adaptive. But then once you're there you're really on a roll. Well, and I think the point you bring there though, that, you know, the reality is these, these challenges are still tough. So I want to, you know, as a practitioner, set mm -hmm. the stage, like, this is like flip a light switch and like, Hey, it all works and everything's because some of these conversations, what you just hit on there, where it's like determining, do people really need to know this? Like, is there an actual mm -hmm. reason why mm -hmm. people need to? Cause there's a lot of like junk, awareness stuff where it's like, well, I mean, I don't really care if people know, but we've put it out there because yes. in case, in case, and it's like, well, you do have to start having more of those discussions, which again, goes back to your time. Isn't going back to this idea of, well, does this mean there's less work for us? No, <laughs> it's just different work because now the work is having those conversations, determining, do we really need this? Like, what is it like actually getting into that to determine if this is the right pathway? Your work is a closed loop cycle of giving people opportunities to learn and then assessing and always knowing what they do and don't know. And, and because you're constantly using data, you know, that the amount of time that you're spending looking at data and making adjustments to your content is much greater than yes. versus right now we spend a ton of time just on our content. And not yep. enough time on is this content working? Yes. So it's 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 a more it's a shift. It's a shift. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a shift. And I it think, but right and again, here. is that work? Yes. Mm -hmm. Is that even just like psychological going, oh, you know what? I need to change the way I think about things. Mm -hmm. I need to change the way I spend my time. Like, yes, there yeah. is change that is required of this. And I think that's an important piece because you can go down this path. And if you're determined to do things exactly the same way you're doing today and go, and we're going to just bolt on an adaptive platform to, it's like, well, it honestly, it won't work. It just won't work. You have to fundamentally change 
a lot of your whole ops. So yeah. let me let me ask you one because we're going to run out of time. I knew we were I knew we were going to on this. Um, but with this one, one of the questions or one of the things that I think is important to important. Wow. It's one of those mornings. Yeah. Um, important to point out is this is what we're talking about though. Cause sometimes I've seen the debate around adaptive and this might open too big of a conversation. So we might have to get through it quick mm-hmm. can get through this discussion of like, well, that's education. That's not skill type of a thing. I I've seen the debate and sometimes I'm like, you're, you're having the wrong discussion because Learning is far more complicated and we don't need to sit and pick sides and fight back. Nobody's saying that because you are educated, you suddenly now know everything. And I think that's one of the important considerations that just because people know doesn't mean they know how to do it. And so there is this ecosystem and this whole portfolio of things we have to consider. So I think that's another important thing to point out because I've seen the debates where they go, well, that's just education. That's not skill. And it's like, Education is part of skill. It's part of the same thing. I know. And, you know, the thing about it is um, the really hard part to develop technologically is the using AI for that metacognition to be able to keep track of what an individual human knows, to be able to automate the process of a human also demonstrating what they know through an activity and on the job activity. Um, Technologically, that's not that hard. I mean, there are multiple platforms, including ours, where you can create a portfolio of your work. You can do a project. You can have your peers review it against a rubric. You can have instructors review it against a rubric. You know, the the demonstration of skills is synthesizing all of these bodies of knowledge. And, And I think that when one of the real nice benefits of our working with education as well is like, there's a lot of high schools in the country who have just gotten away from courses and classes. They're, they are going with a mastery transcript um, a tra- and 250 colleges and universities accept the mastery transcript. It's just these are the skills that I have versus these are the classes that I take. Christopher, I took four years of Latin. You know how much Latin I tested out of? <laughs> One semester. I mean, I got like A minus, B plus in Latin class, but my mastery of that language, one semester worth. And because the course is an artificial construct. Yeah. You know, and and it's so industrial age. And so, so anyway, maybe in our next conversation, we can talk about skills and competencies versus courses and classes. And I think it's it's a great teaser for where we can continue the conversation because again, you know, like like so many things, technology is an enabler. And if garbage in, garbage out. And I think that's one of the important things. If you want to make people learn a bunch of useless information, can adaptive learning help them retain a lot of useless information faster? And I mean, yeah, you you. I don't think that's the right use case. No, humans it. must make it relevant. Period. Yes. And I think that's, and I think that's one of the important things is it's easy to go, well, you know, this, this won't work right. And it's like, well, that's the responsibility we have. And that's why we're in this field is to figure out how do we decrypt? What is the relevant, what is the right stuff and how do we actually do that? And I think that's the piece that, um, what a great, what a great note to close on. All right. Yeah. Well, look at that. (laughs) He's like, I think we're done. You guys have been talking for an hour. It's time to wrap Um, it up. I, did pop next a, time. I popped a link in the chat um, just because I knew a lot of folks that were signing up are also in the supplier field. And so okay. um, as a as a next step, anybody who wants to think about becoming a referral partner of ours, I'm having a little open house. Learn a little bit okay. more about Area 9. Um, All right. And they can get into some of the detailed questions that I know came in. There were a few at the end, um, you know, people asking specific things right on the end. So Judy, we wouldn't have time to get into it anyway. But again, I think that sets the table for, there is definitely an interest for a follow-on conversation. So I appreciate you making time. I appreciate you making the time and chatting. This was, this was a lot of fun. Super fun. Thanks everybody for joining. I hope this 
um, you got something out of this and this has just helped you kind of one, realize that technology is fundamentally changing the rules of what was possible before. Um, and yeah, there's exciting stuff ahead. So thanks for making the time, Judy. And thanks everybody for being here. Thanks, buddy. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.